Welcome to Season 2 of the Ghostwriter and Pub Podcast. I'm Jody Aberdeen, author and ghostwriter, storyteller. Pup's name is Bella, and as always, she is sleeping soundly right next to me. Welcome to the show. So, I'm coming up with this interesting offer that's got me so, well, bamboozled a little bit that this is like my 20th time trying to record this. But here's the deal. If you are looking to write a book, but you're aware that it's a five-figure cost, an investment really, in hiring a ghostwriter to do it for you, and still need to hire one because you don't have the time, you don't have the skill, you really don't have the patience to write it, I'm giving you the chance to secure my services for just $500 to start. And we can create a payment plan for the rest. I'm really keen on filling up my calendar with some amazing stories and some brilliant authors in 2020. I can't take on everybody, so I'm going to be a little bit choosy. But if you if money is the only thing standing in your way, the upfront cost is the only thing standing in your way, send me an email at jody at jodyapertine.com with the word deposit in the subject line to claim your $500 down payment on a service. And from there, we will talk. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about, well, the about money, success, and the pursuit of both among creative professionals. And uh, as with all of my interview episodes, this topic was inspired by my conversation with my good friend, artist, wedding officiant, and wise woman, Sarah Hall. Now, I, I start this off by saying that I am tired, listeners. I am just about as tired as the sleepy pup uh, right next to me. And I'm tired of a lot of things going into 2020. Most of them having to do with all of this hustle. Now, I've talked about hustle culture in other episodes and um, in my own writings, hustle is really a function. It, 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 I mean, if you if you get off on just really hustling all the time, then you know whatever floats your boat, you know, go for it. I'm not here to to kink shame anybody <laughs> if that's something that gets you going. But for me, hustle is more of a function that needs to happen when times are tough, when income is questionable or when you just got to when you just got to pay the bills. And you know, there is always an opportunity for me to get a job if I really had to. But I've long since done the math and any type of stability that I might get from a job would be offset by the loss of time that I've got to follow my own passion, follow my own business, because what I have to offer as a ghostwriter, and even as a fiction author, I'm writing my next uh, Amazon book. Uh, I'm hoping to have that ready, ideally within the next few days, the first draft. I'm uh, taking on the shorter book uh, format and just kind of... uh, just really, really creating a lot of different short stories, being prolific for a change, because I've got these ideas kicking around my head, and it makes no sense that I don't at least put them out there for people to buy. And so this is largely inspired by my 
chat uh, a few weeks ago with uh, Mike Shreve. It's in another episode. You could look that up in season one, uh, Making Money Through Fiction. And so uh, that is also something I've got to do. And I'm also managing debt. I'm managing bills. I'm managing anxiety over both. Anxiety just generally at the state of the world. <laughs> you can't quite ignore some of what's going on. I mean, we just had an ice storm here in uh, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, where I'm recording this from, uh, my home, and uh, it, sort of going on, you know, along with that is uh, news that's literally just broken a few moments before I, uh, well, at least before I started this recording, that we've had a lot of untreated sewer, sewer water um, get put already, get, you know, just basically bypassed our treatment system because we had so much water flowing in from the storm, and that's in addition to a previous amount of 24 billion liters of untreated sewage that leaked into a nature area. That's a whole scandal. Don't want to get into that, but it did happen. So you, you, you kind of... Anxiety, in a strange way, can be the sanest response to the things going on around you. Um, but you don't live, you may not be living in Hamilton listening to this. This may not necessarily apply to you what's going on. And I do want to get to my chat with, with Sarah. Uh, so I'm going to focus in on three stresses that you may not think that your service professional may be dealing with at the time that you engage with them. Okay, so the first stress is pretty obvious, bills and debt. So your service professional, especially if they're a freelance professional of any kind, and especially if they're in the creative business, have bills to pay. Like anyone else, I'm sure you do too. And this isn't to this isn't an either or proposition. This isn't to negate or otherwise kind of diminish what it is that you've got to go through or what other professionals have to go through and do go through every day. We gotta live. And yeah, we got to pay bills. That's everybody. Freelancers, though, a lot of the time we have a more interesting time doing that until we're well established and we have a flow of work. When um, if you're lucky to have that type of flow, you have cons- you have more or less consistent income every month, and you can budget and plan and save accordingly if you're if you're making enough. If you're really lucky, you get to pay down a lot of your debt and you get to invest some of your cash and. You know, uh, otherwise live as almost normally as you can imagine, uh, you know, compared to everybody else doing a nine to five. It's, uh, you know, that's, that's fine. But for a creative professional in particular, we deal with one thing that a lot of other professions don't, and that's the devaluing of what we do or the notion that we've got to do what we do for free because, hey, it's creative. You're doing what you love, right? Why would you charge money for that? And I think Sarah uh, touches on that in our interview, uh, which you'll hear shortly. But it's just kind of we have this con- we have this sort of uh, really convoluted view in in the society, some people anyway, of what it is you could charge for, and they as if the as if you can just magically snap your fingers and a painting for your office will just apparate in front of you already, you know, basically stretched across a canvas and nicely framed. Uh, just for you to basically have, and that's not how it works, right? We, you know, we have we spend a lot of time, we spend a lot of labor doing what we do. So we got our bills to pay too. A lot of the time, because we're undervalued, we end up taking if we're not 
if we're not sure where to look for our clients, or worse yet, if we've bought into that own, to, to our own negative publicity about the starving artist, we're likely not charging what we need. We're not bringing in the jobs that we need in sufficient quantities to pay our bills. So that's something you need to be aware of when you, when you engage a freelance professional, that they are human, they are like you, and they may have a, they may have a harder time take, you know, basically just, just keeping up with all of the expenses because of the, not quite stigma, I don't think that's the word, but because of the perception that what they do somehow isn't as valuable as what other people do. That's the first thing you got to deal with. Bill, you know, uh, you got to be aware of. Uh, so bills and debts and and money devaluation. The second is the health concerns around all of that uncertainty. So I'm coming off. I'm I'm basically coming off of a three day anxiety like panic mode. Um, it was a month end. A couple of my housemates that I share a house with, you know, they were late with their rent. And I'm concerned about a check bouncing. So um, this is related to the housing market here in Hamilton. Like many Canadian cities right now, it's very hot, especially Toronto, especially Hamilton, southern Ontario, right? That we are one of the hardest, hottest markets for rental housing in the country. And it's, it's very tough to find a place. It's the middle of winter. And I, you know, it only takes, there's such a, an oversupply of tenants and a l- comparative lack of available housing that landlords can essentially pick and choose um, who basically stays and who goes. And it only takes one mistake, one bounce check or something of that sort to get a landlord basically filing to have you evicted. So that's in the background of what you have. So in addition to that money conversation, you know you can't miss your rent. At least where I live. So, think of the anxiety that creates, and that may not be the quite the situation in other jurisdictions, but consider as well that there are health drawbacks to not having steady income, to not having insurance or health coverage that usually come with a steady job. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I could have any number of things. I could have hypertension. I could have, you know, I definitely have anxiety. That's been diagnosed, and I've had that for a while. Uh, but you know, I could have any number of other things wrong with me. So it's, it's actually more incumbent upon me to look after myself. And you know, that really, that's, that's not a bad thing, but there's a certain lack of empathy where, uh, where, where people who don't have those types of coverages are concerned. The notion that we're not working hard enough, that we should just get a job and give up on all these things. And I don't know. You see, so uh, this is an example of showing, not telling. You could hear the anxiety and the stress kind of coming out of my mouth right now as I'm venting. You get the picture. Your service professional will likely not talk this way in front of you, but this is what they're dealing with, and this is likely something that they're dealing with, and you, you, you know, something that you, you should be aware of. And the third unexpected, or at least under-talked-about thing, is that despite dealing with these bills and debts and unsteady income, despite dealing with the health ramifications of what all of this uncertainty and anxiety causes, like what they both cause, the third thing is they're dealing with the having to put on a a successful business face every day. Here's what I mean by that. There's an under uh, stated or at least un, you know, 
unspoken assumption that if you're that you should look successful that if you are truly good at what you do you ought to, you ought to be well you shouldn't put it out there that you're looking you shouldn't put it out there that you are eager to work you shouldn't put it out there that you maybe don't have any clients right now or that you haven't been making enough uh you know and so you're raising your prices or you're you're putting out specials you have to look as though you have this perceived value thing yeah again part of playing the game i'm sure there's some veteran copywriters and ghostwriters listening to this that basically think i'm whining but uh and maybe i am but i'm also kind of putting it out there it's like for people who are looking to hire hire us I want them to know that this is what a lot of us are dealing with. And, uh, you know, uh, it, I had a chat, and I think I mentioned it in the season finale episode. I'm going to have another gentleman on as soon as I can nail down a time uh, on this podcast who is new. And he's a digital marketing specialist, and he's already worried about looking bad for working uh, a job, doing something that's not in his field. Because he's newly graduated, and he's, got, he's building his portfolio, but he's got the, he's already got that shame uh that that sort that sort of shame mechanism of like I can't tell people what I'm doing for money while I'm trying to get them to buy to to pay for me as a digital marketer so uh and insert whatever profession you want in place of that but that's the gist of what it is I still get that you know I <laughs> I'm still doing what I do uh focusing on book ghostwriting but I haven't had a book client in a while so I'm doing blogging I'm doing shorter copy Here's the thing. I enjoy those too. If I wasn't getting those, I was really if I was really desperate enough, I'd have to go get a job. And there shouldn't be any any stigma around that, but there kind of is. There's this pressure to look as successful as possible to get that insta aesthetic in everything that you do to put yourself out there and to put your best foot forward and to never admit that something is wrong. The inability to present yourself as a human being when you really want to just be human with your clients. I think that's that the pressure to, well, to be otherwise. That's something else that we're dealing with too. So those are just three things that you ought to know. And you know, it could entirely be that I'm speaking for myself, but the more I, but I don't think so. In fact, I know it's not me because the more professionals I talk to, in the freelancing world about these topics, the more I find out that they are dealing with the same thing and they themselves have brought it up in other conversations. And, you know, so it's nothing new and it's very common and it's very sad, but this is just how it is. I don't know why I share that with you, to be honest, I guess it's, it's sort of a part of me coming clean because I experienced all three of those. Um, but once again, it just feels good to for you to be aware of the entirety of the humanity of the person that's across from you who you're hiring to do this creative thing. So uh, I can't find a segue, so I'm just going to cut very awkwardly over to introducing uh, my conversation with Sarah Hall. So I met Sarah when I did seminars, uh, classes at uh, Landmark International in Toronto. Uh, it was a long time ago. I was on a personal development kick. And um, I was with, uh, I basically took courses at Landmark for a long time. It's funny, up until recently, I didn't want to name them because I'd read somewhere that they're very litigious. And 
they will, you know, basically if he says anything bad about them, uh, they will come after you. But you know what? That's silly. That that doesn't run. That's not congruent with my experience of the organization. It's very tough. They've got their own kind of quirks and quirks that I tend not to like, but. Um, I'm glad for the experience. I definitely recommend that people will take uh, courses at Landmark at some point. But at some point, and, and I'm complete with what they do, so I'm, I'm no longer taking courses there. Good experience. It's been a slice. But uh, that's, an, an, you know, inevitably, though, that's where I met Sarah Hall. Now, she is a, I, I first knew her as a painter. But when one of my friends had fallen ill with what we thought was cancer, I think, about a year after I'd met her, or actually might have even been a few months, she introduced me to one of her teachers, a you know, gentleman named Stephen Jenkinson, um, who does this type, who does, uh, who did work, and he still does work in uh, exploring our conceptions of death and grief and all these things that we'd rather not talk about in society, but that impact us nonetheless every day. And so a, a very, uh, a very sort of big sister, little brother relationship, at least from my standpoint, has, has kind of ensued between the two of us over the years. And, um, you know, she's been through a lot. Uh, she's been, she's had her health challenges. I won't talk about that here because I haven't asked her permission to do that. But she's, um, you know, she, she's come a long way in the time that I've known her. And uh, currently she works as a wedding officiant. She... Uh, basically, you know, she marries, she's, she's uh, certified to perform weddings here in Ontario and she's performed a lot and she's continues her studies and inquiries into different topics using different teachers. Uh, Steve Jackson being one, um, professor Jordan Peterson is another one. Uh, she's, uh, studied a lot of, uh, she studied a lot of works around, uh, just social justice, sexual expression, uh, many different hats, right? She is not just one thing. You can't peg her down to a single ideology. You can't peg her down to a single way of looking at things. In fact, her one can the one the one of the few consistent things you can say about Sarah is that she aspires to a collision thinking. I guess it's like you, you there's she it's 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 wrestling with ideas and it's it's exploring those things. And so um, a lot of this comes from her own biography. You can learn more about her at the sources that she names at the end of the interview. Uh, the event that we talk about, by the time that this airs, may be passed. Um, it's currently 10 days before it happens. It's a local event in Hamilton. It's, called How, she, that, it's one of Sarah's first talks called uh, How to Love in a Time of Uncertainty. It's taking place uh, in the uh, second floor boardroom at the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce uh, in, at 120 King Street West in Hamilton, 7 p.m. on Thursday, December 12th. Tickets are $25. There's a link uh, that I'll put with this podcast. If you're in the Hamilton area and you want to make it, most likely the event will be sold out by the time you do that, um, uh, by, the time, by, by the time you click it, but uh, that's, that's okay. This we're, we're looking at maybe making this the first of many, and it could be that this is the only one of its kind. We really don't know the future, but uh, Sarah has definitely got a vision for doing more of this type of work. And this is the thing about this talk that she's going to give. We don't have... She's not giving us answers. It's called a how-to. It starts off how to love in a time of uncertainty. So there may be some components of that. But the truth of the matter is, I actually don't know what Sarah's going to say. And neither does Sarah. Sarah's got some material prepared, but she's always keen to point out that, her, that when she does give a talk of any kind... 
It's interactive, which means that she draws on the ideas of the audiences that are present at the time and those individual hearts and minds, and she has no idea what they're going to bring up because nobody knows the future. So without further ado, uh, that's what we, we get. We, we will get into uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get into the interview with Sarah. I just wanted an extra two, two little caveats before I start. One, we as a content warning, we do talk a little bit about past uh, sexual trauma, and there's also a bit of you know language. I mean, I cuss like like anybody else most of the time, but uh, on this podcast, I'm I'm mostly clean, so it's uh, but that's okay. You know what? Authentic conversations mean sometimes you need to you you need to talk some shit, and that's just how it is. So uh, that's uh, so there's a bit of language and a bit of sexual uh, content that may be uh, uncomfortable, to, you know. But, um, you know, listener discretion is advised, is that what they say? So that's fine. Other than that, it was a really pleasant conversation. We got into it about, we started recording about 40 minutes into our, into our Zoom chat. And once again, we didn't know what the topic was going to be until she mentioned it. And we start out, as many of these conversations do, in one place and end up somewhere, well, uh, end up somewhere that you wouldn't have expected to end up based on where we started which is how all the great conversations go. Here's my chat with Sarah Hall. All right, Sarah, we're recording. Um, Yay, recording. Yay, recording. And it's interesting. So uh, for those listening, we've been chatting for the last um, 40 minutes. Oh, my goodness. Just before we started. And it's been... All the best stuff is gone. All the best (laughs) stuff is gone. You're not going to get anything on the show. That we just that we just covered, and but let's start with that point about being tired, because um, yeah. uh, as I, as I've been saying, um, I get the topic for my episodes from the conversation a lot of the time uh, with who I'm with who I'm talking to. All, all the shows that where I have a guest, I derive the content that you hear before my guest interview from the conversation. So, but. We're not just tired because we think we're tired. Um, Sarah, I'll let you riff a bit on just to continue that thought because I know I cut across you to hit because you're, you're too tired to continue. <laughs> no, but you know what? I'm tired. I, I am tired of trying a lot of the time. And yeah, and I think it would it wouldn't be so bad if I wasn't seeing so many people who are making it doing what I do. And I know that it's not the entire truth. It's the Instagram truth a lot of the time. But mean, there are, there are people mean, who are like, like here's what do you mean making it? Making it, like uh, achieving the outcomes that they desire, uh, that they're doing all this work for. But what's the, what's the making it that you are? Because I bet you there could be somebody that you're like, that person made it and I couldn't care less. But then there's somebody I'm like, oh, they made it. And you're like, so? So what's, what is the made it that, that you're referring to in the context of tired? I think the stopping trying and just kind of waking up every day and um, the trying is at a minimum. It's not gone. You're still making some effort. You're still putting in some work. You're still being of service. But certain, oh, this is a good question, actually. Wow. Um, certain elements of the day that I currently deal with no longer exist, like bill panics. And, uh, oh, okay. Right. 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 Yeah. It's like, right. that, that's, I, I think, you know, that you made me think about it. Yes. You know, it's not just more money, more problems. It's more like uh, more money means I don't have a money problem. 
which is to say, I don't have this particular money problem. I have new ones. Well, when I, I yeah, because I I'm really really clear, and I can't remember who said it, but you know, I think it was Jim Carrey. He talks about I wish everybody could achieve a lot of money so they could figure out it's not the answer. But I also think that having some money, like I've been rich, I've been a wealthy wife, and I've been on welfare, poor as a kid, raised in food bank, growing up and stuff, and I've been at either spectrum, so much better having money. Like really, mm -hmm. it's given, you know, it's like, well, maybe I, you know, am I deeper? No, I mean, your day is your day. But now that I'm not married and I've burned through, you know, all of my settlement money and I'm in debt and I felt that anxiety. And then I've created in the last year, a, a, a just barely enough money to get by and sometimes make my interest payment on my credit card but there i'm feeling a flip over like i'm actually just now seeing creating you know like this art thing i'm trying to create for next year mm -hmm. that i'm actually trying to create a basic income for myself and once that started to happen i started to feel a little less anxious because i really and i really wasn't certain about a basic income before but now that I've experienced like, oh, if I have, I have enough, the moment I can tell that I have enough to cover my bills this month, because I'm an entrepreneur, I'm always having to create new income. I'm like, oh, and there's this part of me that settles in. So I think what I'm hearing you say is like, if you knew that for at least five years, two years, that you had a steady enough income, that your bills and just a little bit more were paid for and that if you created something else on top of it then it would just be gravy but you didn't have to fight for rent mm -hmm. is that what i'm hearing you say yeah i think uh, it's it, it's it's the uh, it's related to this question that you see in some of the personal growth books and those social media posts where it's like would you be doing and i think alan watts did a great talk on this that got popularized it's like what would you be doing if money was no object? And it wasn't just about, I think he was talking about vocations. And so I was asked, or at least I asked myself uh, a while ago, would I still be ghostwriting if I was making, if I basically won the lottery and had basically money sitting in the bank for like years and years and years, right? Because I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm into that. I don't live large. I'm, I'm pretty easy in terms of uh, my lifestyle. Right. And the answer was no. The answer was I wouldn't necessarily be ghostwriting. I would be writing my creative work, which I'm doing anyway, right? That's right. Story. Yeah. So um, that's sort of where it comes from. And then when I went to Paris, and my listeners know about this, right? Uh, I came back with and this whole kind of like, I'm not just here to hustle for the sake of hustling and to go around showcasing my big achievements to other people doing the same type of hustle. Right. Right. I'm here to, I'm here to basically work and then go off the clock, put on some nice clothes. And go to a nice patio and with some friends and eat some, drink some wine and eat some cheese. Is that even possible anymore? Yeah. Like given our economy, is that even possible? I think it is. The, the Parisians are making a go of it. Of course, they're also riding in the streets. <laughs> from what Well, I, I, you know, I look uh, at, I, yeah. I do know that they do that in Montreal. They, they, mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that Montreal trades, you know, is that they clock out of work earlier and they earn less money overall, but they trade that in for culture. And mm -hmm. Toronto is money centered and, and Montreal's 
culture centered. Even in the coldest of winters, mm. people are outside, bonhomme, and they're skating and they're talking. And in the summer, you're seeing them with wine in the parks. And there's a there's something alive in the people there. there I mean, there's just certain an ennui that happens all over the country mm-hmm. and all over the I mean, the world in different iterations. But but somehow um, not here. I well, because I because it's a it's all the artists have fled Toronto for the most part, usually for Hamilton, but, Mm. but there's, I just don't know if it's possible to not hustle because there are no full-time jobs really for the average Mm. person. If you look at uh, Tim Hortons, that used to be students, right? Right. And now it's a full-time position housed mostly by people of color. Mm -hmm. It's like a life. It's like a career working at a Tim Hortons is not a part-time student gig. And it's just, so, I mean, we were talking about being exhausted mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people think that, they, that they're exhausted. I know that I, I kept going to the doctors or something wrong with them. I'm so tired. And there were actual reasons for me to be tired, mm-hmm. but then I keep talking to everybody and they're tired. And I, I think that we've got it. It's a weird thing when we blame ourselves, we're all tired. Mm-hmm. My grandparents, I mean, sure, there's a certain tiredness that comes with age, but they were home a lot and they weren't that old. Because, I, I mean, I was raised by them for a good portion of my life. And like my grandmother would, I don't know, be in the garden with her flowers and my grandfather would be putzing around doing his thing. But they weren't that kind of tired that I see us. And, and you know, I'm 10 years older than you and I have a new tiredness that I was attributing to age. But I think it's just, I'm tired of the hustle and I'm tired of the loneliness. Um, and I don't get to see my friends a lot because I'm always, you know, on the hustle. But the weird thing is, is I also love my hustles. Right? I love marrying people. I love doing art. I love teaching art. Um, if I won the lottery, what would I do? I don't know if I would do as many weddings although I freaking love doing them, I think I would simply ask people what they needed help with, which is kind of the business that I want to create. It's like, well, what do you need help with? Oh, you want to decorate your house? I'll come help you. Do you want a portrait? I can come help you. Do you want to get married? I can come help you. Like, I'd really like to actually do something like that. And so it makes me want to ask you that question because my currency isn't money, although I have to deal with the money issue because I don't want to have it be usury and have somebody else contend with the money. Um, but I'm motivated by love and belonging and, and being receiving love from people and watching them appreciate something. I'm very motivated by that more than I'm motivated by money. So now that I know that it can, I can charge money for things that are, are genuinely started by them you know, the drive for love and affection and, and friendship and belonging. So if you're doing that life, why would you, what's the outcome? Like what's the why of creative writing? To me, it's like, if you can do that, I, and I, I just only because of the coach that I was, I've been working with, he, he really got me to see that, you know, and, and you know how you create, you know how you create your like purpose in life? Either your, your mantra or something like that, right. which always felt stupid for me. 
um, until, until I got what it was, is that I'm just, I'm here to love people and to teach people how to love each other for a really long time. I just so moved me. And then he said, cool. Do you know that you get to love people all the time? And just sometimes you charge money for it in the form of weddings, but you can love each other, love people all the time. So it wasn't like, oh, I could only do it when it's, I'm charging money for it. Because when I do something for free, people are like, you're not getting your worth or your value. And it's, I don't tie my value to, I don't commodify myself like that. But when he said, I could love people all the time and be generous all the time, except sometimes I charge money for it, which meant that I could be this way all the time. But in the area of marrying people, I charge money. Oh my God. So if you could write all the time and sometimes you charge money for it, but what's the, what's the writing? What's the thing? Is it sharing yourself? Is it exploration? Is it adventure? Is it aliveness? Is it, what's the, what's your reason for writing? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, uh, it's, it's what I do. It's I enjoy it's what it. You do what do you, you yeah. enjoy it? Yeah. And then what do you, when then when you've written something, like do you share it? I do. Uh, and what do you hope the sharing will will accomplish? Like what would do your be your favorite thing? Is that you gave me something that you wrote, and then I read it, and then what would be the thing that would nourish you? if my reaction was a specific thing? It would be that you it would be that you shifted your behavior, you shifted your belief and did something, created something in the world that didn't exist before. Uh, and that's a that's sort of my off the cuff, I don't want there to be too much dead air on this recording answer. While right, I right. But, but so you're like more like a more like a Mark like Mark Manson. Sort of. Let me let me answer actually with uh with, with with an example, right? So I shared when I came back from Paris, I shared that story with somebody um, who I met through the the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. Uh, her name is Christine, and because I shared that story, and it was it wasn't even a written story. It was like a conversation at the bar. There's a weekly meetup that happens with the uh, with chamber members. We go to a bar and hang out and drink and, and talk, right? Nice. And she happened to be there, and uh, I had come back, and I was talking about my experiences while it was still fresh. She went and decided to take a look, uh, just 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 for a laugh, and just kind of take a look at flights. Found one that worked. Decided that her and her partner were going to go, and they're they're probably there now. I think they haven't come back yet. She only took. And she she told me that the reason why she went is because I shared my story. So right. a whole other set of, of experiences and possibilities and adventures ensued because I shared a story. Right. In someone else's life. Like I, I want to be that kind of um, cloud atlas kind of ripple effect into somebody else's life. Right. Right. Um, the other day, yeah, the other day too, I shared, I was on, um, I, I was on uh, a favorite author of mine was on a podcast and on his website, there was a live chat that was happening, you know, and Somebody had called in and sounded very distressed. I commented on it in the live chat. The author caught it and brought it up on the on the live chat on the on the podcast after that. So 
uh, it's like I swayed a conversation. And I enjoyed yeah. that. I, I really love that. You're not supposed to. The, the, I, I've interpreted over the years that you're not supposed to enjoy that kind of thing, but I do. Yeah, I, it's so funny. I, uh, I talk a lot. I've always talked a lot. And I had noticed. It turns, yeah, right? <laughs> uh, and, yeah. and I had it that I'm not supposed to. I was shamed for it. Mm-hmm. And yet it's like a, I've honed it the way, I guess, you know, and I'm not, it's not like I'm a master at it, but I'm at the beginning stages because now I'm going to be doing more public speaking. Then I'm going to have to practice real time about how to, how to navigate and hone the instrument of speaking. But uh, mm. it, for a long time, it was like I was pretending that I didn't want to dominate the conversation and talk about what I want to talk about. And that meant that I was always interrupting, that I was inappropriately always making it about what I wanted to talk about and, and not really hearing. And, and when I got that, oh, holy crap, I just want a bunch of people to sit around and shut up while I say some stuff. And then I saw how funny it was that I actually, that's what I actually want. And I had to get over the shame that that's what I actually wanted. Then I realized that, that the second hurdle was that, you know, I'm talking with my partner about this and he's like, well, you know, it's all about your ego and, you know, you get off on it. And I'm like, no, I don't. It's because I want people to hear what I have to say. It's not about me. And he's like, yeah, you get off on it. And I was so angry and defensive. And then I thought, wait a minute. Yeah, I do. Actually, yeah, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy being able to make a difference. I really enjoy being able to hold a conversation that people want to come and pay money to sit and listen to me talk. Like, that's weird. You know, that, that's kind of a cool thing. But it's like that moment of, it's, it's a really uncomfortable thing because we're not taught that we're supposed to enjoy being the center of attention. And yet you and I are talking about something where it's not necessarily us that's the center of attention. It's that what we're talking about becomes the center of attention and we're pointing to it through written word or storytelling. And yet, you know, I mean, it's no different than a jazz musician. I don't know if does did Miles Davis love being the center of attention or did music use him? I don't mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. Was was he used by his instrument? Because mm-hmm. 'Cause I've been doing this my whole life and when I was little I'd come home and go, Oh we're at school so we talk too much and my mom, she's so funny, she's like, Oh honey, you you don't talk too much, you just have a lot to say. <laughs> and she was and you know what? She, when I look back she was absolutely right. But when I don't actually give myself the forum to say what I need to say, then I end up rambling and talking too much and not listening well. And it runs roughshod because it needs to live in the world. I'm supposed to be doing this. And so when I don't do it, it spills out. Right. And I just hear from you, you want to make a difference in the world. And yet there's a shame that comes with it of like, well, who am I? I'm just, you just want to make a difference in the world. Yeah, and the shame is around money. Uh, at least at, at first blush, you know, now I'm kind of questioning that, you know, and it's good to question your assumptions, right? My assumptions. Well, and how would shame be around money that you want it? No, that it's, <laughs> that I, it, it is somehow this, 
if you're doing good in the world, you can't accept money for it. Yeah, that's such horseshit. I hope okay. you're allowed to swear. I hope you're allowed to swear on your. Yeah, you, are, are you, okay, okay, good. Okay, I, I'll put. I, just a, did. I'll, I'll put. I think Anchor makes me put the little e for explicit language on every episode. Oh, sorry. Like, that's fine. Yeah, yeah that happens. No, no, that's okay. Um, and yeah, no, be you, right? Uh, if you want to yeah. curse. No. Well, I just say it's just bullshit when I, when I, there was a book and I cannot remember when I find out, I'll give it to you. You can post it. There was a book written, I don't know, a hundred and some odd years ago. And it was a, a novel about kind of like the romantic, you know, bohemian lifestyle of the suffering and not a lot of money, you know, that kind of Toulouse-Lautrec, you know, Alphonse Mucha, like all that kind of, you know lifestyle and immediately because they had patrons before then and then immediately following that book which was so popular apparently mm-hmm. ever since then people have thought it's romantic to be a broke artist and they took on this identity yeah and but i'm i'm in the this middle place of like but i and i had a lot of money and i don't know that was my phone dropping i don't know mm-hmm. if how about I start with enough money to, to like just, I don't need to have that big goal that a coach will, you know, you'll pay a coach a lot of money and they're like, you just don't undervalue yourself. Well, what if I, what if I ask for less, you know? So I don't know about the money thing. It's really confusing me in this, it's, it's in this cult. Yeah, you're right. Like it, it's, if you see somebody who's in need and you shared a story with me about different prospects who've reached out to you and, yeah. um, you know, and you've adjusted prices for them, that makes sense for them. And you have a great experience. But if you, if you listen to half the coaches uh, and, and they're, these are great, you know, very successful people and they're sharing what they know. Right. And one of the things they'll tell you is, well, don't lower your price. And that if you, if they can't, if they won't pay your rate, they're not your client. Yeah. And I, and, and so fun. I, I agree with it, but yeah. for some reason, and I, and it's not like I do anything for free. I mean, yeah. I do actually do things for free. It just means that I ask a different currency, right? Cause there's more than one currency and some, and I don't just mean a trade, but especially because I, you know, I work in mentorship and coaching people at times. I hate the word coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with, I just sit with people and listen and and say some stuff i i don't i don't want to call that coaching but it i started to occur to me the other day that if somebody could afford fifty dollars and somebody else could afford my full rate of an hour and a half at 150 or somebody you know if i was doing that all the time that all of the money doesn't have to come from one person it's kind of like mm. the art thing I'm creating, right? Remember, I wanted I, I want to develop my my drawing skills, so I thought, well, if I did a drawing a day for a hundred dollars, I've done a painting a day for two hundred, but I'm having an issue with you know the the acrylic, uh, you know the which is plastic. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, pencil and paper, great. Um, before I knew how much expense how expensive really good paper is, but yeah. if I did that for a hundred dollars a day. I could, that's $700 in a week. That's a, you know, a basic income and barely, but I could do one drawing for $700, but do I want to hustle to try and find a $700 client? 
when I'd still work the same amount of hours, could I not gift more people? More people would spend $100. I would finish a drawing every day. And then I would learn with rapidity and not be trying to come from a place of getting it right. Mm -hmm. There was a, so there's a, have you read the book art, the fear of art? The fear of art? Yeah, I think it's called Art and Fear. It's a very thin little book. And in it, there was a teacher who um, was teaching a pottery class. And he had um, half the class. He's gonna, he said, I'm going to do grading. So this half of the class, you are going to get graded on weight. So you're going to make as many pots as you want to. I'm not grading you on technique. Um, but I will weigh all your total amount of pots um, at the end and you will get an A for this much and a B for this much. It was very clear. And then this half of the room, you only have to make one pot. doesn't matter what size, but you will be graded on mm -hmm. your skill. Okay. Okay. Who made the better pot? I think the ones who did, who, who were graded on skill, I would hope. No, what? that's totally what I thought. It's the ones who made 50 of them because they were, they would go so fast because there was a time on it. Like they wanted to, they wanted to make many of them so that they would, they would make one and then they go, well, oh, that I screwed up on that one. Then they would just go to the next one. And every time they did another one, they improved based on what they thought didn't work about the previous one. And they ended up developing way more like that you could see the development. Like you watched my 30 portraits in 30 days. Mm -hmm. It was so rapid. I could actually watch my skill developing right before my eyes. So they ended up creating a more beautiful piece of pottery than the one who sat there and tried to get it right. This mm -hmm. blows my mind and it's just changing. Like what if, what if that can happen? It like, okay. So, I don't know. Pick no, this, who... this this resonates. I'm doing something now, uh, where I'm writing a short story every every uh, three to four weeks, right? And then right. Pu then publishing that on Amazon because apparently Amazon lets you do that. They don't, you know, you can hit ten thousand words in this in a little book, and that's enough for them, right? And uh, it's 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 an example taken from uh, one of my coaches, Mike Shreve, who was a guest on the show uh, previously, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, he said that the way that you make you make money writing fiction is to be prolific. And uh, if you really look back at, uh, I look back at Philip K. Dick in particular. Uh, the more I learn about him, I never I wrote my novel, which is very much in his style, without having even heard of the guy. It's one of those right. It's one of those strange things where he said, you know, the music got you know. Sometimes the music gets you. I think in this case, the story and the genre, the, the type of story, got me. That would have gotten right. him, I think, right back in the day. So um, he wrote numerous short stories that were later adapted, right? But this is all after he died. Today, um, apparently, like, if you stop caring about the quality of the product, right? and Or some type of thing you have in your head about how it's supposed, how good it's supposed to be. Right. Well, the fact is, right? I mean, how good it is in the arts, it's like, it's partly subjective, is it not? Right. I mean, like, uh, it's tough with, it's tough with writing because there's some really crappy writing, but I'm, I only say that because I, I, I had written something a while back and I've not studied writing. I've not 
Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm not, I did not, I don't get grammar. I, I understand cadence and I understand a certain flow as an artist. And, and somebody once said, wow, you really write. I can hear you speaking when you write and you write in the sound of your voice. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, true. no, he's yeah. actually, he's like, that's actually a skill. And that a lot of people, when they try to write, they try to write like a writer and it's horrible. Yeah. So I think you're right. Like, I think if you're prolific enough and you just keep going and keep going and keep going mm-hmm. at, and I think it's being willing to have shit product out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm going to do that talk with, you know, with you in, what is mm-hmm. it? In 10 days. Yeah. We're, and, and we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about that soon. Yeah. But I, I think that I, I'm not exactly certain what to expect and I don't want to have this whole agenda what I do want to do is be, I am ready for it. I could do it this evening. I'm not sure what the topic would be, but I'm also willing to have some of these talks as I develop them um, be horrible. You know, I mean, one of the things that I, when I hear Jordan Peterson talk about, <gasps> I said his name, when the, the Voldemort, I mean, Jordan Peterson, um, speaks about (laughs) his speaking right this is what i this is what i'm on to i'm not it's like i'm fascinated by his capacity to to be in front of an audience and how he is it's the same reason i love lots of speakers because i watch their style and what i like about what he says is that he it's a live interaction and conversation with an audience and if they're starting to fidget in their seats if they're starting to look at their phones if they're not engaged you can tell and you've got to be able to like a stand-up comedian kind of read the tone or even be willing to stop and say, okay, I've lost you what's going on and mm-hmm. actually engage the audience. But unless I was willing to, you know, I don't want to show up with a PowerPoint slide and do this dry thing, no. but I think it's, a, I think it's a matter of, you know, like I've done 80 weddings this year. That's prolific in the area of weddings and I've changed immeasurably. I think it's just, it's just get like lots of it, lots of it, keep going, keep going, keep going. And I think that if we charge a lot of money, I don't know, it's like, what's our base income and to just manage ourselves to help us breathe. Mm-hmm. And then what can we do in the area of influence other people to take a different action in their life? Like that's what you're kind of like, I, you want to influence people yeah. to, to do something. There's lots of ways for you to do that. Well, you just don't know because you're busy trying to fit it into mm-hmm. rent. And yeah, like it, this very podcast, I love doing. I I've actually sat up, and I think you know this, right? I've had some yep, episodes yep. where I've sat up at like 1 a.m. in my own room and recorded stuff, right? Because yeah. it felt right. Now, if if money were no object, I'd still be doing this podcast. It's as, as strange as it may say. Like I'm fascinated. Uh, I, I love having conversations like this. I could sit all day. I don't know if this is. A- I could. I, I would. I would go on. I would honestly. Nobody will know. Maybe some people will know who Steve Jenkinson is. I mm-hmm. would develop myself as a speaker more than anything, and all I would do was learn, read, write, speak, and paint, and mm-hmm. do it over and over again. Some, you know, sometimes in front of a. And I got to do a wedding this year that was. Um they said, but we don't really want readings and you don't really need to do a huge opening or any of that stuff. We just want you to riff on what you believe about weddings and, and culture and village and what's missing. And, 
And I, I was just like, this is a dream come true. I can't help. Not only did I get to do it, people paid me for it. And I showed up to do it and there was a freaking pulpit there. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've been joked about people were like, Sarah, get off your pulp, you know, get down from behind the pulpit or, you know, get off or Tom Waits, get off the cross. Cause we sure could use the wood, you know, <laughs> but like that, but I was up there and I was, I, I don't typically use a pulpit when I marry people, but I was like, Oh, this is kind of, uh, kind of, I kind of, I kind of dig this kind of, Ooh. It, feels good. it feels good. And right? it was really uncomfortable to admit as un- it's so funny it's as uncomfortable to admit that i love being up in front of an audience as much as it was uncomfortable for me to admit that you know things around like it's one thing to do and go and do all the kinky sex to be sexually uninhibited but it's another one to admit and walk freely in the world as somebody who's sexually uninhibited like mm-hmm. to own it that i really like that and i'm i can do all the things or whatever it's as uncomfortable, probably more uncomfortable for me to say, you know what, the more I actually have a free, and it's one thing to go, do you take each other to be married? Great. That's one thing. But when I get a, a moment to riff on something and I see people make connections, it's like, oh, that is, must be what it feels like for Bill Burr or, you know, when I, when I like, or really good comedians, when I watch Chris Rock, when I watch, um, when I used to watch Louis K, but Bill Burr is the new redhead now. So, mm-hmm. um, and I, and, or George Carlin or mm-hmm. Lenny Bruce or mm-hmm. Richard Pryor, you know, like I, I like the edge and I'm naming all men. So somebody might have an issue with that, but mm-hmm. um, um, I'm, I, I like watching men speak a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, probably have issues. I don't know. Just see a therapist or something. Or, or, or maybe you just like hearing men speak. I do very much. And I think maybe because they've had more time at it. And I do like listening to Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, AOC. Speak. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because she, she's nasty, wicked smart and she'll nail you. And she's sweet about it. And she does it in this real um, direct, mm-hmm. unapologetic she does not pretend to be less smart than she is. And I think that that's what I'm actually like about the way a lot of men speak mm-hmm. is, is that they don't pretend anything. Like if they're angry, they're angry. You know, I mostly watch comedians. Like I mostly love I comedians. The, but I, I, I would assert the edgy comedians don't pretend as much. I think a lot of, um, I think a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pretense, a lot of pretense among men. And you know we're we're working through that, and especially in the entertainment industry. But those edgy- Ali Wong, Ali, Ali Wong, Wong is edgy. Oh, yeah. I love Ali Wong. Yeah. I love Ali Wong because to see a very short, petite, mm-hmm. um, gorgeous Asian woman with mm-hmm. glasses, pregnant, saying all of the things that you would never want anybody like, and no like oh you know. Like every, she, it's, it's like, it's because she looks how she looks that when she says what she says, because when, what's her name? The, the bigger white girl, the bone, like, I don't know. What's her name? Um, um, uh, Lena something. No, she's got a couple um, movies. Yeah. Chunky, um, chunkier. She's a, she's, no, no, she's mm-hmm. funny, but there's this one comedian, long blonde hair, kind of curvy. I, and I find her humor basic and I don't find it edgy at all. And yet she's can be raunchy, but the way that Ali Wong does it is 
completely. Yeah. She's just brilliant. She's brilliant. Yeah. And I've completely lost your thread. I'm taking no, that's off okay. on some think, sort of I tangent. So. I think it, it relates though. Like let, let's see where we could, let's see where this leads us. Right. I mean, that's part of it is that, that, that idea of being, you know, fully self-expressed. That's another one of those things that has me tired uh, leading this back. Right. Is uh, yeah, I've, I've shared about it too. It's like there's a on, on this on this podcast. I hate selling, right? And the part of the one of the original things about the things that appealed to me about being a, a fiction writer that was making more than enough money to get by and to actually enjoy life is that the I, if I was a fiction writer doing that, I would be making money from the value of the stories and ideas that I've put out, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if, you like, if you like the story, you're just going to buy it. It's no fuss, nothing complicated, right? Uh, and instead, I'm in this kind of, with ghostwriting, I, I do enjoy that as well, but now that puts me in the marketplace of I'm a copywriter, technically, right? Mm-hmm. Which means I have to stand out from the 8 million approximately other copywriters that are out there on any given day, right? which means I've got to sell. Ironically, uh, if ironically is even the word, uh, that calls for more of me sharing my personality and who I am. Right. But, but ultimately, it then comes down to what am I going to do for my clients, which is like, am, is this going to make the money? Right. Well, here's, here's an interesting thing that I'm hearing as a thread because you've got the people that you want to influence. You want to influence the world. You mm-hmm. want to tell a story and then have people go and go to Paris because you went to Paris, like something, something like that. Which means actually what you're avoiding is taking all the risks that you don't want to take. And that's exhausting right. for you to stay safe. So you're staying safe and you're Staying playing safe. It's really friggin' exhausting. It really it's is. Fucking exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking exhausting. Yeah. And we have this idea that we're conserving energy and mm. we're not because energy, there is no limit to energy. You could run a marathon and be physically tired, but, mm. but, but the, but there is no limit to, enthusiasm and, and energy if it's coming from a place you've been there where you're just all of a sudden you're up till four in the morning and you can't it doesn't matter that you're tired you're just you're just so excited mm-hmm. i mean when we're all dating somebody new we like have sex all night and we're like go oh, many times and we're up till dawn and you know and then you get and up even, and you go to work and you're running around bouncing all happy and it's like and, and then, and then and of even, course and even when the person's not there you're staying up at night thinking about them right yeah yeah right so so it's not it's it's we have this it's like um, whatever makes um, Michael Jordan love basketball isn't over there with basketball. It's with Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. And so this enthusiasm, like, honestly, I think it's, it's like find a thing that you love. And if you get that you want to influence people to take risks, to, to change something, to get up and go, I'm going to France because whatever Jody just told me, frick, I'm going to go. Well, that means that you have to be risky. Yep. And I think suppressing risk is exhausting. Like when I was, you know, I don't know, I just met my partner that I'm with now and I had never done anything kinky and we like went to like into this kind of like world of things, you know, that then to me that was really exciting, but it was risky and I had to give up a previous way of being. I had to give up my um, conversation that I'm shy or that I don't know that anything about this or that it's scary or that it's wrong or that 
all of that stuff had to disappear for me to be able to take that risk. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't give, I had to give up all of those monotheistic Christian kind of beliefs of good and not good and whatever in order to do those things. So I had to, I had to be risky and you can't be safe and be risky. No, you can't. But, but here's the thing. Rock climbing. Okay. Okay. Risky. Yeah. But you're not going to not have, you know, the ropes safety. You're not going to have just go and do it without actually having the proper equipment to keep you safe. Right. Yeah. So that's, that would be stupid. Mm -hmm. So, but you are being safe when you make sure that you have two carabiners on every, you know, lockdown. I don't know how the the correct language, but Mm -hmm. that instead of just having one and have it break and you fall, you double up and you make sure you're safe, but you're still going to go and rappel down a rock face. Right. Right. So there is, I, I still think that there's a way to have risk, but to not be an idiot and put yourself in situations and be responsible for the risk that you're about to take. Like when I, you know, like when I, I'm going to talk to a room full of people, I'm not going to just demand that I'm telling the truth and everybody believe me. Cause that's stupid. Cause it's not even true. I'm wrong about a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So how I, how I risk saying certain things is to put out there that I could be wrong and please, if I'm wrong, like vet my opinion. And this is, I'm not here to like, you know, I'm here to speculate. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to have an, like a truth. I'm here to speculate. Yeah. So and I don't that, know that there's gotta be a way. Yeah. And like, that's, you know, and that's, that's the, that's exactly the talk that you're going to be giving. Um, in yeah, that's <laughs> whatever, whatever we're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah, you you don't know, and that's it's interesting having to. We're, we're talking about this whole sales and marketing conversation where it's like uh, I'm promoting your event, I'm sharing it, and uh, it was it was a, it was an interesting uh, approach that I think you and I both had to take in sharing the copy for what this event was, and we had to be very careful. I remember saying that there's no, you're not going here to find it is it is termed as a how to, right? how to love, you know, uh, basically. Um, and at the same time, it's not. It's, a, it's an inquiry, not a place for answers. We're, right. ex- we're exploring the question. You're exploring the question. That's how to do it, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so That's actually how to do it is to, to actually not have an absolute. Yeah. So, that, so I, I think that I could, we, could, we could have this particular evening repeat itself in 100 different venues over the course of a year and depending on the town depending on the people Mm -hmm. the conversation would be completely different absolutely and you know i i can envision maybe having people ask questions and put them in an envelope or send them to you in advance and then we table some of them i i don't know um it, it what I'm starting to trust is that I have the capacity to say, I don't know when I don't know. And I, I trust my capacity to think um, instead of running around trying to tell people I'm smart, which is what I used to do, which had me try to know stuff. I backed off and it's like, I don't know pretty much a lot of stuff. 
most of the things. But while I've been at home drawing by myself, I've been wondering about things. And while I've been messing up my relationships, I've been learning things. And while I've been heartbroken, I'm like, oh, that did not work. So I've really learned a lot from fucking up. Like I've done a lot of messing up in my life and that's another part of the risking is the, if you mess up when you risk, you learn something. And I've learned so much because I've via the scenic route of getting it wrong for the majority of my life, which is one of the reasons why my daughter at her grade 12 graduation had three men standing with her, mm-hmm. all my relationships, all at her graduation, you know, I said to my daughter, oh, three men and a baby. And my daughter goes, or my mother makes poor life choices. You know, <laughs> <laughs> There has to be a willingness, I got to say, to be willing to risk and then just admit how, how wrong. Like I don't, in the same way that a basketball player misses the basket, it's not mm-hmm. a function of whether or not they're a good human being. It's just like, yeah, I missed that shot. And I didn't do it. Like I just didn't. So yeah. it keeps. Yeah, I, I just hope that next week it's like, well, what do people bring? And as long as I'm worried about what people are bringing in the room and I listen to what they have to say and I trust that I can have something to say about it, it'll be okay. And I won't die if it's horrible. I want to jump on that. Um, we're, we're just sort of running to the end of our time, but yep. there's yep. a, uh, I want to jump on that because it's, my my fear is talking, and I want to give it a voice while we're while we're talking. Since okay. we're talking about risk, is with some of the risks though, I could die, couldn't I? What? What's your what's the risk that you what what are risks? Name five risks that you want to take that you're terrified of doing, and then tell me the possibility of dying. Oh jeez. <laughs> um, okay. Okay, well, anything since stick, you know, sort of sticking with the theme, not just because it's a theme, but because it is really on my mind, um, the money theme. Okay. Although I could go for writing, I could still do, I could still keep doing what I'm doing and market the crap out of myself, right? Right. Okay. Well, here's that, here's here's, here's that, what I would all that dead air yeah. is actually yeah I'm uh, those listening this is actually me kind of I'm I'm in my wheels are turning and <laughs> okay so turn your wheels for a moment because I'm gonna say that inherently none of these none of, things will have you die even none if you none of lost I would say is gonna make me die that's right and if you if you had no money and you lost your home and you had to move home with your parents and which would feel like a death I'm sure for any of us if my daughter moved home she I would kill her before she would kill me because it's a challenge it's it's not an easy thing but mm. you wouldn't die no if you take big risks though like when I took the big risk you know, when I went into a sex and intimacy um, study and, and took big risks in the area of my sexuality, trying to heal childhood sexual abuse by actually having sex, because, you know, that's how you do it. If you want to get over your fear of spiders, you look at spiders, you touch spiders, you, you hold a spider eventually, which I will never do. I'm afraid of spiders and will never do. So instead, I decided to tackle my sexuality because it seemed way safer than spiders. Um, 
but I wanted to tackle my childhood sexual abuse. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to have sex. And mm -hmm. I went and I, and I went into that and yes, actually Jody, I did die. The person I was before is not here. I had to give up a whole bunch of crap, not before, by the way. And what the great news about trying this stuff through sex or through public speaking is that it's immediate, right? It's an immediate thing. It's not something that you can, it's, it's like the drawing I did today. It's done. The drawing is done. It, it's either good or not good. It's, it's over. And now the person I was before that drawing is, doesn't exist anymore. And the next drawing I will do. And a year from now, I'll have put in, you know, like a, a thousand hours. Right. I, I just think that it, it's so immediately when you put your risk out there through voice or through, through a, a quick product and you do it over and over again, you do die. I mean, I think that's what, I think that's what we think. I think that's what reincarnation is, is that every single day mm -hmm. we do something. And then when we go to bed, we wake up and we, we're a different person. And we get slaughtered every time somebody breaks our heart. It's like whatever part of you stood up after you were flattened, whatever you is left is the part that's Jody. And then you keep doing it over and over and over and over again. So what's worth, what's worth putting your, you up, your life up for risk. And when I say your life, I mean, all your beliefs and your convictions and your people approving of you and your friendships and all these things, like all those things that you think would just be horrible if people thought you just didn't agree with them or like what's worth risking that part of your life and that part of your life potentially dying? I don't know if I could answer that right now, but it is something. The there you go. Yeah, that's a good. That sounds like a a sequel. We're at that yeah. place, you know, in in Avengers, where you can already tell Frick they're going to make another movie. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's exactly how it's going to be. Right. Um, so, Sarah, we are at our time, sadly, but uh, you know, I'm having you know I'm, I'm having you back on at some point soon. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely, wouldn't miss it. And that, this is where I have to do the boilerplate thing and ask people and ask you for our listeners where people can learn more about you. I, well, they can learn more about me through my website, which is sarahhall.wedding. So S-A-R-A-H-H-A-L-L dot wedding, not dot wedding dot com. It's just dot wedding. You can Google search me, not Google search, um, Facebook, find me through Jody. Uh, we're mm -hmm. friends. Um, you can reach out to Jody. You could go to Eventbrite and come see me in Hamilton on the mm -hmm. 12th. Yep. Um, and you can also go to sustainable relationship, um, either is it sustainable relationships, plural or sustainable relationship. I don't know if it's plural or not was, where I had it up. Uh, yeah, it? it starts on the calls start, um, twice a month. We start next week. Um, and they are, it's, I think it, it's $40 a month and it's me and another really skilled, um, mentor, talking about relationship because we do not want um, there was, there are people who could not afford to work with us one-on-one. -on -one, so I said, I can't, I can't do that. I can't turn anybody away. Mm -hmm. So I talked him into being able to have this bi-monthly call and then people can sign up 
um, yeah. and for months at a time or for the whole year. And um, they get to have the calls recorded. There's an online community. So there's that way too. Yep. Sustainablerelationship.com. That's what it is. So right. And then there's my art. Which I'm an artist, so I don't have an art website because I'm an artist. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how that goes. Yeah, that's how that goes. Sarah Hall, thank you so much for uh, for chatting today. We got many more chats to have. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Jody. Yeah. And that's it for this episode of the Ghost Rider and Pup Podcast, the first of season two. If you would like to be a guest on Ghost Rider and Pup, please send me an email at jody at jodyaverdeen.com. Uh, and uh, especially, I'm looking for writers, artists, creative sorts of any kind, just anyone with an interesting story to tell, new authors especially, send me an email if you want to be a guest and to feature your book, jody at jodyaverdeen.com. You can also check out the Ghost Rider and Pup Facebook page at Ghost Rider and Pup. And uh, as well as really just Googling Jody Aberdeen anywhere you'll find me. I'm, I just go by my name. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being there. And uh, continue to do what you do. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day.